Hey everybody, for this week's remediation, we're going back to our third most popular episode of all time, A Tour of the Cell, where we talk about all the fucking cell parts that you need to know, and yeah, that's it. So kick back, enjoy the show. Welcome to Biology for Bastards, teaching biology in the most profane way you've ever seen or heard. I'm your host, John Doty. Thanks for listening. Today we are starting the first real biology chapter, chapter six, a tour of the cell. So motherfucking cell parts, everybody. Super exciting. There's people out there who love this stuff. Um, Good for them. And we're going to talk microscopes, we're going to talk cell parts, what they do, how they work, all that fun shit. So without further ado, let's get going. So we all know what microscopes are. If not, stop listening and do a quick Google, figure out microscopes. A little distinction between the magnification of a microscope and the resolution of a microscope. Magnification is just how zoomed in are you? How much bigger is the thing you're looking at than it actually is? Well, resolution has to do with how clear the picture is. So imagine you have two dots that are really close together. Resolution means you can still tell they're two dots and not one line. So the higher the resolution, the shorter the distance between those two points, and they stay two points. Think of a like a standard definition image an HD and a 4k higher resolution means you can get closer and you can still tell those two dots are two dots so when it comes to different microscopes there's two main types there's light microscopes which they use light and there's electron microscopes that use electrons light microscopes you can look at pretty much anything. It magnifies up to about a thousand times because then light gets too too big to do the rest. Uh, but you can look at living things. You can look at dead things. You can look at non-living things like rocks and shit. Um, but then there's electron microscopes that only work on dead things because you basically have to chrome plate it. But it shoots electrons down. And you can zoom in super close like... Some you can see atomic structure. So it's like really fucking zoomed in. And there's two main categories of the electron. There's scanning electron microscopes, which do like a radar, sonar, sonar, not radar, sonar of it. And you get the uh, 3D outline of something. You're scanning the surface. You have transmission, which is basically like an x-ray looking through stuff. Now... Before we get into all the different cell parts, um, the way we know all this stuff, yes, microscopes, but also um, this technique known as cell fractionalization, fractionation, ugh, fuck, cell fractionation, there we go. I always screw that word up, damn it. Um, But basically, you take a cell, you break it apart, 
and then you put it in a centrifuge at varying speeds. You start off slow and you get the big parts. You can look at those. Then you go a little bit faster, you get a little bit smaller parts. You get a little bit faster, you get a little smaller parts, all the way up to like super fast where you get the tiniest pieces. So you do it in these fractions, hence the name fractionation. And you look at the bigger to the smaller to the even smaller to the smallest. So that's how we kind of identified all this stuff. Now a history lesson about when we were doing all this. Most of it took place in about the mid-1800s and a lot of it in Germany. So we had uh, Antony von Leeuwenhoek in the 1600s and Robert Hooke. They were the first ones to see cells. Hooke, just regular Hooke, not Leeuwenhoek. Regular Hooke is the guy who came up with the word cell because it resembled like a monk's bedroom, just this empty chamber of cork that he was looking at. But then we had in the 1800s a lot of people, Schleiden and Schwann and Verkov, all Germans um, who did a bunch of stuff. Um, Schleiden said that all plants were made of cells from everything he had looked at and everything everybody had looked at before him. Um, Schwann said all animals were made of cells. And then Verkov said that all cells come from existing cells. So that's only about 160, 170 years ago that people were just figuring out the cell. So this is, in the grand scheme of things, fairly new, like compared to like chemistry and physics and math and shit. Um, but there are two types of cells. There are prokaryotes and eukaryotes. Um, they're very different from each other. Most of the cell parts we're going to talk about only exist in eukaryotes. Um, there's, they're Greek in origin, their names. Karyo comes from carrion, which means like a kernel, like a popcorn kernel. Pro means before, and you means true. So you have prokaryote before the kernel. You have eukaryote, that means true kernel. And the kernel they're talking about is the nucleus. We'll get into what the nucleus does later, but it's kind of a big fucking deal. Kinda. Um, so I'll point out stuff that's in both, but for the most part, everything's going to be found just in the eukaryotes. Okay. Now you might have wondered in the past why there aren't cells the size of basketballs and everything, and if you haven't, pause it, think about why there are no cells the size of basketballs, and then unpause it, and then listen to me explain why and pause. Welcome back. Hopefully you thought about why there are no cells the size of basketballs. Um, the reason is math. Has to do with surface area and volume. So you need to have a high surface area to volume ratio. So you want a lot of surface area and a little bit of volume in order to get shit in and out. Okay, think of it like doors to a room. You want a shit ton of doors because if you're moving a bunch of stuff in and out, you don't want to be blocked by an exit like something held up. You want to be able to get stuff in and out very quickly. And the volume determines how much stuff you need. Now, because of math, area, surface area, is a two-dimensional measure, like length times width. Volume is three-dimensional, length times width times height. So when you grow, if you double in size, you are going to be four times the surface area, but you're going to be eight times the volume. 
So because volume grows faster and because it can cause all these problems if you have too much volume for surface area, that's why cells have to stay small. There's times when you want to take advantage of the increased surface area. It happens in your lungs to get gases exchanged very quickly. It happens in your intestine to get nutrients across quickly. It happens with root hairs and plants to get stuff like water and minerals across very quickly. Basically, whenever you need to exchange stuff very quickly, you want a high surface area, especially high surface area to volume. So that is all the background stuff. Now it's time to get into the actual cell parts. Like I said, I'm gonna point out things that are found in both, but for the majority of everything, these just happen in our eukaryotes. Eukaryotes being things with a nucleus. And the nucleus is gonna be the first part because it defines what type of cell we have. So the nucleus, sometimes it's known as the control center. Because it's known as the control center, or actually other way around, it is known as the control center because it stores the DNA. The vast majority of the DNA in the cell is found in the nucleus. There is a little bit somewhere else, but we'll get to that later. Um, it is surrounded by two membranes. So it's got an inner membrane and an outer membrane. So it's very secure in there. Um, like I said, it contains the DNA and it has this little region called the nucleolus, which is the birthplace for ribosomes, which will be the second part we talk about. So ribosomes are very, very, very important. Everything has ribosomes. So both prokaryotes and eukaryotes. Okay, because ribosomes, they make proteins. And we need proteins because proteins do every fucking thing in the body. If there's shit to do, proteins do it. So we have proteins that are just hanging out in the cytoplasm, which is basically the not nucleus. And we have some ribosomes that are attached to the rough ER. Now, the rough ER stands for the rough endoplasmic reticulum and the endoplasmic reticulum is only found in eukaryotes. So prokaryotes don't have that, but they do have ribosomes. So obviously they just have the free floating ribosomes. Um, but the rough ER, along with the smooth ER and the Golgi apparatus and the plasma membrane, together they make up this thing called the endomembrane system, which just is a system of all these membranes on the inside. That's what endomembrane system means. Okay, and it's going to be how things go from, you know, information to a protein to actually getting shit done. So, when we talk about the endoplasmic reticulum, which literally translates to um, the little net within the cytoplasm, which is just adorable, little net inside the cytoplasm, um, there are two different types of ER. There's the rough and the smooth. The rough ER comes first, and it's rough because it's covered in those ribosomes. It actually looks rough if you look at an electron micrograph, which is just a picture. Micrograph means picture taken with a microscope. If you look at an electron micrograph, the rough ER looks bumpy because of the ribosomes. So when the information comes from the DNA in the nucleus, 
it can go to the rough ER first. So that's step one of the endomembrane system. And there, it's going to get transcribed, translated. Well, it's already been transcribed. It's going to get translated. Those words will mean something later to you. Um, but it's going to get copied down, and it's going to get turned into a protein. From there, that protein is going to go to the smoothie R. It's called the smoothie R because it's still the endoplasmic reticulum, but it's not bumpy. It doesn't have ribosomes because it specializes specializes in making lipids and membranes. So you have the protein, and it's going to get made in the rough ER. Then it's going to go to the smoothie ER and get a little membrane bubble to live in. And from there, it's going to move to the Golgi apparatus, which sometimes you'll see it referred to as the Golgi body. It's the exact same thing. The main thing is Golgi. And what the Golgi does is basically it's going to process everything. So we make the protein, we have it in a little bubble, but it's going to modify, it's going to refine, and all this stuff. The Golgi has two faces. It has a cis face and a trans face. The cis face, that's C-I-S, cis face, um, it faces the endoplasmic reticulum, and that's the receiving end. And then the trans face is where it ships everything out from after it gets modified. So there's this like sequential maturation happening within the Golgi apparatus. Where it comes in fresh and new on the cis face, and it gets modified and fancy and shit, um, and then shipped out of the trans face. So that's one thing. That's the uh, endomembrane system um, for the most part, because after that, you get a little vacuole, just a little sac, a little bubble that it lives in um, coming out of the trans face. And it can go and meet up with the plasma membrane, the outside of the cell, and either shoot its contents outward and just release it into the wild. Or it can kind of make this little um, vacuole that stays inside the cell but goes and works somewhere else in the cell, something like a lysosome or a peroxisome which are things used for cleaning. Just think Lysol and peroxide. That's basically what they do. They help break stuff down in there. Now plants, speaking of vacuoles, plants will have this big, large, central vacuole okay, where it stores water in this ion-rich solution because a plant can't get up and get more water if it needs it. It's stuck in place because it's a plant. So it's stuck there. Um, so we're kind of about halfway through and I just want to point out again that if you haven't been looking at the slides that I've been posting in the show notes, really fucking worth it. There's pictures of all of these things and you can see the little progression. Look at the fucking notes. They're there for a reason. It takes me a little bit of time to put them up there so just do it. Help yourself. All right, we are now going to move on to two really important organelles, as all these things we've been talking about are called, little organs. The mitochondria, which I know you know it's the fucking powerhouse of the cell. I hate that phrase because nobody ever remembers what it actually does, but they can remember that phrase. And the chloroplast. Now, earlier I said that the nucleus had most of the cell's DNA. 
there's extra DNA in the mitochondria and in the cytoplasm if you're a plant. Sorry, not the cytoplasm, the chloroplast. Fuck. If I was super professional, I'd re-record this and get rid of all these mistakes, but not going to happen. First take, unscripted, that's kind of the nature of the show. So whatever happens, happens. So mitochondria first. It is the powerhouse of the cell. It is where cellular respiration happens. And we'll get into a shit ton of detail about cellular respiration later. But it's basically how you take your food and power yourself. Okay, so there's two membranes here, an inner and an outer. And the inner membrane has a whole bunch of folds in it, which, going back to what we talked about at the beginning of this show, the increased surface area, those inner folds, these cristae, they're called, that's where most of the energy is going to happen or going to be transformed. So by having a higher surface area there, you can get more stuff done. Now, chloroplast, these are found only in plant cells, and this is where photosynthesis happens. Okay, within each chloroplast, they have a double membrane, just like the nucleus, just like the mitochondria, and then instead of having all these inner folds, like the mitochondria, they have these things called thylakoids, which are little Oreo-looking things stacked up on the inside to help increase the surface area. But because that's where they need to capture all the sunlight, they want a lot of surface area. Now, I said earlier that the mitochondria and the chloroplast both have their own DNA. There's this really interesting theory, scientific theory, not a guess, so backed up by all the evidence, is this theory, that the mitochondria and the chloroplast were once free-living prokaryotes. They were their own cells. They teamed up with an ancient eukaryote to kind of help each other out, and that's why they have their own DNA. That's why they're, the mitochondria and the chloroplast are roughly the same size as a prokaryote. They reproduce like prokaryotes do. Um, chloroplast and mitochondria have their own ribosomes, just like prokaryotes. So basically all signs point towards mitochondria and chloroplast were free-living independent organisms at some point in time. All right, so next thing we're talking about, the cytoskeleton. This is the cell's skeleton. Cyto means cell, skeleton is skeleton. These are found in all cells because everything needs a skeleton. Now there are three types of fibers involved in the cytoskeleton and the different fibers do different things. Some support, some help it move, some um, make it not move, so like serve as anchors or tie downs or whatever. There are microtubules, those are the biggest. There are microfilaments, those are the smallest. And then the very appropriately named intermediate filaments kind of right in the middle. So the big one that everybody talks about are microtubules, the biggest one. They are hollow tubes. Um, they help give the cell shape. They help give it support. But more importantly, or maybe more specially, if that's a word, phrase, uh, whatever. Ooh, this is a rough episode. If you're still with me, thanks for sticking through all these fucking mistakes. Just coffee has not kicked in. 
I've been drinking it as we've been recording, and it's just not doing its job. Damn coffee. And that has been a random aside um, about coffee. So, microtubules, very importantly, they help move things, both within the cell and help the cell itself move. So, we have these things called centromeres that are very important when we're going through cell division. Um, and they help organize all of our chromosomes to make sure we're not a weird mutated freak because that would be real bad. Um, but we also have these things called cilia or flagella. They're two different things. Cilia are tiny little hairs that help us. Um, they work like oars and paddle along, move stuff. They can also be used to receive signals. You have them inside your ear. Um, in the cochlea, so as water, not water, as liquid moves around, you kind of hear things. That's how it works. Um, also with balance and the semicircular canals in your ear. Um, and then flagella, most um, famously found in sperm, the long tails that act like a tail, like a fish, whipping back and forth. So where the cilia are like oars and kind of paddle along the flagella are tails and it whips back and forth, but they both help the cell move. Okay, um, and the cilia, the flagella, they have this pattern known as a nine plus two pattern. So what it is, there are nine sets of two microtubules. So pairs, they're round, this is where the picture is super fucking helpful. So it's like, yeah, I would look at the picture um, where there's all these pairs. And the way that these things move is there's this little protein on it that basically reaches up and pulls one of the things. Um, and it makes one side longer and one side shorter. And that makes it move. Here's a really good picture um, showing these proteins, these dynins, as they're called, um, and the microtubules found in cilia and flagella. It's a really good picture on the slide showing that process and how it works. But those are our microtubules. Okay, they're big. They help you move, um, help the cell move and everything. Now, the microfilaments, on the other hand, are the smallest one. They basically do a lot of support and they kind of work on the cell on the inside. So it helps it make like an amoeba. So we know how like the blob moves and everything. That's amoeboid movement. Um, it pulls on one side and it makes the cytoplasm there a different texture. So the rest of the cell blobs over it and it just keeps repeating that, and that's how it kind of helps move. And then our intermediate filaments, they basically serve as anchors. They don't let things move. So if things need to be locked down, if organelles need to be in the same place every time, that's what they do. They basically serve as scaffolding throughout the inner side of the cell and just kind of make sure everything stays put. All right, last thing we're gonna talk about because 
um, if I remember correctly, the next chapter is all about the cell membrane, um, our cell walls. So we have prokaryotes have cell walls, fungi have cell walls, plants have cell walls, lots of things have cell walls, animals famously don't. Okay, But there are three main parts to a cell wall. There's the primary wall, there's the middle lamella, lamella, I've heard it both ways, lamella, probably how I'm going to stick with it. And then there's a secondary cell wall. So the primary cell wall is really thin. Okay, it is on the inside. Okay, it's thin, it's flexible. This is what's made of cellulose when we're talking about plants. Okay, then we have the middle lamella, which um, serves to glue two cells together. So it's actually outside of the secondary cell wall. So even though it's called the middle lamella, it's not in between the two different cell walls, it's between two different cells. So we have the primary cell wall, rich in cellulose and everything. Then we have the secondary cell wall, which is thick and rigid. All right, so it is what is added between the primary wall and the plasma membrane and then the middle lamella is between the two different cells. With me? Okay. Good. Um, and honestly, that's where we're going to stop. We're not going to talk about gap junctions and intercell intercellular junctions because don't want to. Um, should we? We should. It's there. We're only at 25 minutes. All right. It'll still be half an hour or less. So outside of the cell, we have extracellular matrix. So it's just stuff outside of the cell. It's not just empty space. There's things basically holding together the cells because if we're having a tissue, we need to make sure the cells stay with each other. So it's just a bunch of ropes and fibers and glycoproteins, proteins with sugars on them. Um, like collagen. Collagen is a very famous glycoprotein that basically keeps the cells attached to each other so they don't float away. And we can have a couple different types of cellular junctions. So when we have two cells butting up against each other, we can have tight function or sorry, tight junctions where they're really tight. They're watertight. So you have those like in your skin layers, you have tight junctions um, that they're very, very tight. Um, you can have gap junctions where there's actual space between the cells. Um, and that is so cells can communicate. So you have a lot of those between nerve cells, little gap junctions, so it can release neurotransmitters and then get picked up later and all this stuff. Um, and do have um, some super strong junctions you have these things called desmosomes which basically act as little rivets to hold things together so in muscle cells you have desmosomes riveting the cells together so they don't rip apart and then in, so those are all found in animal cells in plant cells you have little holes in the wall called plasmodesmata which are just basically little tubes where you can send stuff from one cell to another 
because you have the cell wall surrounding everything. And with that, we come to the end of chapter six, a tour of the cell, motherfucking cell parts. Like I said, next chapter is all about the cell membrane, so getting into more detail about that. But this has been Biology for Bastards, teaching biology in the most profane way you have ever seen or heard. You can follow us on Twitter, at BioForBastards. Uh, last week, I kind of pushed everybody to get 100 downloads by this coming episode, and I'm proud to say, as of this morning, we are at 108 downloads. So you didn't let me down, everybody, so thank you. Let's keep that going and see if we can't get to 150 for the next one. I know it's a bold move, but spread the word. Tell a couple people that's only, what, 42? So we need seven new listeners to listen to every episode. So if each one of you tell one person, we'd be well past that. So spread the word. Let everybody know. We're at Bio for Bastards on Twitter. You can reach out, say hi. Um, and our intro and outro music, song Feeling Good by Purple Planet Music. I'm your host, John Doty. And until next time, thanks for listening. So you may have just heard an ad, but I can't end with an ad. So just wanted to say, follow us on Twitter at Bio4Bastards. Um, our intro and outro music is Feeling Good by Purple Planet Music. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, tell everybody you know about it. And again, thanks for listening.